looking for the king of podcasts, you're at the wrong channel. Looking for good ideas for life, you are far from good hands. If you think the listener is always right, you are far from the right place. Hosted by Northeastern by birth, a rebel by choice. If you want a host that floats between love and madness, then play on and listen to Crazy Train Radio. You drive me wild. <laughs> what up, Crazy Train Radio? You look like hell. And I could look the same. What's the photo for? You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! 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 I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch is got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. Friday fans, we know how much you enjoy the movies. Enjoy grabbing your Friday merchandise and interacting with the Friday family, whether it be at conventions or during our particular watch-alongs. Well, when you're looking to get yourself masks, why not check out our friends over at Camp Blood Customs out of New York State and order your specific custom mask from any of the films. All orders are made specifically. Your needs and wants are. Make sure you find Camp Blood Customs on Facebook, Instagram, and all over social media and order yours today. Oscar from the mission, let me explain. The radio you're on is Crazy Train. You'll have a blast when you hear this show. It's Crazy, Crazy Train Radio. Hey folks, it's your least favorite host in the podcast world, Croc, Jonathan Steele. Boy, do we have a good one for you today. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, this one should be interesting. This was brought to us courtesy of Dr. Mike again. And most people would know him by the name Oscar. And when I say Oscar, I'm not talking about Myself that shared a similar nickname to Oscar Grouch and Mr. Paul Orndorff. But also, when I say Oscar, I'm talking early to mid-90s WWF, New Generation Era. He was with Men on a Mission. But Dr. Mike, you brought him to us this evening on the East Coast here because of a new project he's got going on. So would you care to introduce that part of it? Oh, 
Well, everybody in the music industry knows him, uh, hip hop, rap, etc. all the music genres as uh, uh, Casanova Ace, that's his, his name for that, you know, side of him. And he's a multifaceted person. If you remember him, he was, in my opinion, the first power positivity person in, in wrestling, all of wrestling, uh, well before the beloved New Day triad of guys who were terrific. Uh, but I believe he was, uh, you know, maybe PN News, but he was not the hip hop artist. He was not the artist that uh, Oscar, that was his WWF name, uh, was and, and truly brought hip hop to wrestling when he managed Mo and Mabel and uh, one of the most popular tag teams ever. I mean, they were killer faces, killer heels when they were turned heel, uh, which is how they started Harlem Nights for Jerry Jarrett and uh, Jerry Lawler. But Oscar, wanted to welcome you because you were a far more complex person then as you are even more so now with a lot of diversification, you know, a uh, Renaissance man as Evan Ginsberg and I call you. And uh, I, I had, you know, bumped into you just casually at all these things. I'd shot you, photographed <laughs> you ringside at events, but didn't really get to know you until recently when Evan brought you to uh, the other show and uh, uh, Legends Coast to Coast that we do. And I was so impressed with you and the artistry and, and all of that. Let me, let's start it from your beginning as a, a child. Did you, you were born and raised, I forget now, I know you're in Georgia now, but is that where you were born and raised and have spent most of your life? No, or, my parents, my parents are from here, Georgia, not too far. My mother lived about, I'm, I'm in Atlanta right now. My mother lived about 240 miles away in a, town called Waycross, Georgia. My oh, yeah. father lived about the same distance away in a town called Folkston, Georgia. And they met, I believe it was in school. Um, they migrated to New York um, at some point. And I grew up, that's where I was born and raised in New York, in the Brooklyn, downtown Fort Greene section of Brooklyn. That's where I'm uh. from. Wow, wow, wow. So that's right, because you've talked about uh, some of your favorites in the, well, it was then the Tri-WF, Bruno Sammartino, of course, the perennial champion. There'd be no WWF or WWE without Bruno and all of the uh, the other greats, Bobo Brazil, Pedro Morales, you know, so many legends there. Um, and uh, Waycross, Georgia, uh, I always think when I hear that town of Gordon Soley, because he would announce various wrestlers from, from there. Uh, uh, I'm not sure if Mike Jackson came from, from there. This is Georgia Championship Wrestling 70s, 80s. But were your parents musically or artistically gifted as you are? Where, is that uh, where you met about? Not at all. 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 I mean, they love listening to music, but... I mean, they wasn't. Um, they they were they were not recording artists. I never remember hearing my mother sing. I never remember hearing my father sing. My stepdad he didn't sing. I never saw him dance. So so nah. Um, I actually discovered that I can rap by accident. You know, what I mean, I didn't even know that I had that talent until. Um, until I, after rap kind of got deep and, you know, it kind of got his claws into the music industry and into the, and, and into pop culture. And um, <clears throat> that's where all the girls was, you know, first it was rock and roll and then it was, you know, you know, singers, the Jacksons and what have you. Then rap came on the scene and all the girls was after the rappers. So, you know, I'll be like, that is a great way to meet girls. So, um, I mean, I mean a, a friend of mine actually taught me the first rap that I knew. <clears throat> and then from there, it kind of, it kind of, uh, it kind of grew from that. It's and, a weird way to Jonathan. Oh, go ahead, Jonathan. Well, I was going to ask, since we're touching on that with rap and such, and you mentioned uh, PS News and such, but, and we occasionally will jump place to place and whatnot, Oscar, but I appreciated you, even though it was uh, power of positivity and all that, because I was a kid at the time. And the reason I say I appreciate it is it felt more authentic. 
at the time, even though it was built to a certain audience of that new generation and whatnot, that fan base that was watching, but compared to other characters that they tried beforehand, like at PS News and whatnot. So when did you think, or were you, I should say, were you always mindful of the audience you were trying to present your product to? Um, as far as positivity, I mean, the answer is a definite yes. I mean, um, as I started rapping, my whole thing was making appearances at, uh, at, at schools and talking to kids about bullying and drugs and the importance of education and always um, having a positive image. You know, I, I went out in my rap career, I and it wasn't into doing gangster rap, you know, rarely have ever said a curse word in my raps. So yeah, I mean, I was always geared towards, you know, I was always geared towards po the positive side of things. It's a funny story though. So I want to jump in here because, uh, and then maybe we can see how he first picked this up because Evan and I, you know, white guy in Brooklyn, New York, white guy in Los Angeles, watching Soul Train, never missing it, always into African-American acts, into Motown and Sun Records and all of that. And then when uh, then rap and, and the breakdancing craze and all of that stuff, I, I don't know, I, I think some of it was in the Richard Pryor car wash movie with uh, George Carlin. And then of course, you know, there were movies, uh, Electric Boogaloo and, and all of that stuff but you have an interesting story well this take us to then how you developed it because he so impressed vince mcmahon i'll let him tell that story because he can take anything and immediately you know like genius level come up with a whole um, song and, and and spit you know spit the rhymes out so oscar tell us uh, you know how you because you followed and loved wrestling but so this was kind of uh, how did you even meet vince and then tell us that whole story of impressing and blowing him away with what you did i, I guess it was in a hotel or something i made a lot of friends in the music industry over, over, over time i mean i got to do shows with um i mean it's like you know rappers did shows together my management named norby walters um saw a, a different vision because with the slow and syncopation of the rap he felt like i could reach different audiences you know which i could you know i mean i i, I did shows with people like you know i mean we talking milton burrow and we talking tony bennett and uh -huh. i even impressed frank sinatra one night at a restaurant called mateo's so in making impressions with celebrities and then consequently working with them, I ran into my favorite comedian, Andrew Dice Clay at the mm -hmm. comic store in LA. And he was so taken aback that I did a few shows with him. And I went out to Vegas um, with him and um, I found myself at Caesar's Palace. When I was at Caesar's Palace, there was a commotion in the lobby and I was looking like, why is there a commotion? And I saw a colorful guy, and the colorful guy was Macho Man Randy Savage, who me knowing wrestling, I was a big fan. So I said, if I do a rap, for, I saw I was saying, saying to myself, if I do a rap for Macho Man Randy Savage, maybe I can get a spot on WrestleMania Nine. That would like be the apex of my career. <laughs> so I went up to Macho Man and I asked him if I could do a, a singing telegram for him, and he said, "Sure, brother, go ahead." And I did the rap for Macho Man, but Vince was standing there. So I put Vince in the rap. Jerry Lola, Prince the Perfect, they were there, put all them in the rap. And Vince was so impressed. He told me to call him at his office, the WWF, that Monday morning. So I called him that Monday. His secretary was excited because he, he said that she was he was expecting my call, hoping I would call. And um, he called me right back. We was on the phone for about an hour. And about a month later, after WrestleMania 9, he got WrestleMania 9 behind him. They called me up, flew me out to Connecticut. That's why I first met Mo and Mabel. And the rest is history from there. That's the shorter bridge version of the story. 
Uh, I should have brought on the Lanny Poffo moved to uh, Uruguay in South America right about when COVID hit. But I've known him since probably 73, 74. And, uh, you know, Randy's brother, as well as their father, who's still in the Guinness Book of World Records for doing, I don't know what, almost 6,200 sit-ups, something like that in both Guinness and Ripley's Believe It or Not. So Lanny would love to hear that story. You know, he gets real sentimental hearing about his brother, Randy, who's not been with us for a while. Uh, anyway, Jonathan, let me throw it to you. So that is very cool because Vince McMahon can be intimidating to some people and for you to blow him away and him being interested, that speaks volumes about he how has, great. Um, he, he, I can see that because I wasn't intimidated by him, but anytime I was with him or his presence was just something different. I mean, he just, you know, I mean, I, it's not even that he had a billion dollars. It's just something about him where this aura just, just gleams off of him and you almost scared, but not, but you almost scared, but not scared. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. I was never afraid to approach Vince for anything, not to say hi or bring a problem to him or make a suggestion or anything like that. But I, I could see where people would get that because he has, he has a presence about him. Jonathan. But that was actually going to be one of the two questions I asked you about approaching Vince with ideas and such. But, and the one thing I always heard, and I usually reference Jim Ross's line about this approach and converse and not confront because yeah. Vince was willing to talk to you. If you had, you wanted to try to bring something to the table, whether the idea was used or not is a whole different thing, but he was willing to talk to you about it whatever right. you had but the other thing is i want to backtrack because you were talking about impressive celebrities and andrew dice clay and all that stuff i heard you uh spent some time working in nightclubs so were you a dj were you a uh, rapper what what kind of work were you doing as a in the nightclubs so the very first nightclub that i worked at in high school before the rap thing really took off was i was rapping in high school and my French teacher was dating um, one of the writers for an album for a group called The Gap Band. Oh, yeah. And um, The Gap Band owned a club called The Total Experience. And um, I got to be a DJ at that club because she introduced me to the writer. His name was Rudy Taylor. Rudy Taylor, <laughs> Rudy Taylor was impressed at my... Um, ability to rap so they gave me a job as a dj um and you know i started out i started out in the la clubs you know i was really really young you know i didn't make any money but just to be able to rap in front of you know an audience like that that's all i really cared about um oh okay so as far as the clubs go the clubs wasn't always kind to me. Um, my biggest club job was at the biggest, second biggest hip hop club in New York called Broadway International. And you among the elitist of rap. I mean, you know, you had groups like New Edition and LL Cool J and Run DMC and everybody, you know, will perform there. And Grandmaster Flash will DJ there. And I, I and, and the, the owner of the club, his name was Leon Brew, really nice Jewish guy. Um, he gave me a job as being the um, as being the, the the host, and the crowds hated me. They booed me. They threw things at me. I mean, they they threw a wet roll of toilet paper. At What's this me. like the Apollo, where you hear good or bad? Or either the Apollo's kids. Or their descendants, because that's that that's pretty much who you was dealing with. This was up in in, in Harlem. Um, but every time I wanted to quit, I don't know whether it was a sense of um, assurance or I don't know. It, it may have amused the man, but Leon Bro was like, "Don't let him out of you. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead." Every week he was like, "No, no, don't quit. Go ahead, keep on going." <laughs> After a year. And this went on for that long. After a year, either I got better or they got tired because it stopped. And then 
it became, you know, a better experience. Uh, uh, two years in after that, I wound up going back to California. And when I went back to California, I had a better time because I was one of the premier rappers in California. Cause you got to understand something. Um, California was about three years behind New York with the rap movement, but they still enjoyed it. Um, I was one of the, a few people who was really doing it. It was myself and Ice-T and a, a guy named Egyptian Lover. And then like a year or two after that, that's when your NWAs and your Ice Cubes and Dr. Dre's came along. But it was after that because at that time I was rapping. I was rapping and Dr. Dre was a DJ at a club called Eve After Dark. He wasn't even a rapper producer back then. He started out as a DJ in this club. And um, I, I, I was rapping, you know, I mean, with a, uh, my partner, a guy named Mixmaster Spade, I was pretty much instrumental in, you know, really helping to start that movement. You know, the whole Compton, uh, 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 you know, whole Compton, you know, rap movement, you know, my name may not go down in the history books and I don't got a reason to tell somebody something that's not true, but I mean, I was pretty much instrumental in starting it and was one of the best for a long time. Sir, I was certainly better than Ice-T, you know what I mean? I think he'd even tell you that. Uh, Mike, do you have something else you'd like to bring up? Oh, I've got some questions because, of course... Go ahead. Hip hop and rap is going to be the halftime show at the Super Bowl. That's a big deal, a long time coming. I don't know why, to my mind, I don't even know. Did Run DMC, were they ever even like a halftime uh, ancillary show or something like that? Why is the Super Bowl, you talk about LA being three years behind New York. I think the NFL is many years behind pop culture and what's happening and what's going on uh, does that am i right on that uh, well I, I believe i don't know if they're behind but what i do believe that after the debacle they had has particularly come to mind the janet jackson situation um they're kind of skittish when it comes to the music because they're really trying to play it safe i mean mm -hmm. you gotta understand something something happened on television you know they have a lot to lose you know, um, the negotiations for the whole thing would get a lot more complicated. And um, and then, you know, uh, the networks will want to have a hand and a say-so in who's going to be in the halftime show should these, these, these things keep going wrong or whatever. So, I mean, it's, uh, it's a lot of moving parts and they want to keep it as, as simple as possible. That's just my guess, and I and I, I would imagine that that's the way it is, because that's the way I would do business, you know, if 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 I if I, if I was doing it. Um, but I can't really blame them because I mean, you know, I would the Super Bowl is the epitome of a family show, so you want to choose acts and bands or whoever that's not going to get on stage and lose their mind because a lot of them do, you know, I mean, you know, a lot of them do. So you, you want to, uh, you know, you want to choose a, a somebody wholesome, you know, a, a NSYNC or Backstreet Boys or, or whatever. I mean, they're really strategic in picking the acts. So that's part of the reason why. Well, the guy, of course, we're talking to Oscar, also known now as Casanova Ace. Before you even did that, that freestyle for Randy Savage and Lawler and Kurt Hennig and, and Vince, were, were you going by Casanova Ace then, or did you have a different DJ? Yeah, I, I was going by Casanova. You know, I'm almost, I'm almost uh, like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, or, or, or uh, you know, I got to keep up. You know, I got to keep up with who I'm Oscar with, who I'm Casanova Ace with. You know who I'm, Greg, with my family. I mean, it's 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 it's, it's, it's quite a it's quite a journey. But yeah, I was Casanova Ace before. Well, no, nah, I was MC Greggy G before I was Casanova Ace. And then when I got when I got into you know the mainstream of Hollywood, which is where I was for a while, right before I got the WWF, I was Casanova Ace. 
And one of the reasons why I say the mainstream of Hollywood is because my uh, my management, they knew everybody in Hollywood. And they exposed me to everybody in Hollywood. They would have parties where the A list and B list of, of, of entertainment would show up. And I was blessed to meet everybody. Um, and I, I knew everybody, but more importantly, everybody knew me. And most people liked me. Some people didn't. I, you know, I had a bad experience with Madonna. I had a bad experience with, with David Hasselhoff, but that's before I even got into rap. He was just mean to me when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. When I had a, when, um, I, this my favorite story, <laughs> not my favorite, but the most funniest. I was a Barry Manilow fan since I was a kid. When I was in uh, elementary school, I knew all the words to Barry Manilow's song. And, <laughs> I mean, I'll just sing them word for word. So anyway, I'm on this show called The Colors of Christmas, and uh, and, and <laughs> I was I was and I was a rapping Santa. I'm standing in the backstage with my Santa suit on and everything like that. And so you know, I'm part of the show. I'm standing in the Santa Claus standing backstage. Barry Manilow does his song, and I, when he gets off stage, he's coming, and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm probably going to meet Barry Manilow. That man <laughs> slapped my hand away and kept on walking. You want to talk to somebody that was hurt? Oh, uh, it's ridiculous. Well, I know somebody who would not treat you that way is Snoop. He probably owe you a debt of gratitude. Oh, no, that's, I mean, that's my man. He's been my man since day one, so, I mean, I ain't got no problem with Snoop. No. I was... um. I was um, I was one of the um, assistant coaches for his little league football team on some games. I mean, I would we traveled to um, Miami and Detroit, and right before the, the day before the Super Bowl, he'd have a big game with his son and and his team. They fly a bunch of kids out to play f- football, and I would go, and I was one of the assistant coaches. So yeah, we we go way back. I mean, up and down California, he's big. He's into supporting youth stuff and. Things for kids, football, basketball, softball. He's doing all of this stuff. So he's great, as you are, giving back to the community. Um, and it's so funny, of course, that he loves wrestling. And then his niece is uh, known as uh, uh, Sasha Banks, who's been in the, the Mandalorian, that Disney Star Wars spinoff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty uh, amazing. And uh you know, but you were the first to, to bring that element to WWF or WWE now and, and everything that's followed. Let, let me ask, and I'll throw back to Jonathan, um, you know, because you, you were, I mean, you grew up and, and you saw all of this wrestling and, and absorbed it all. Uh, actually, let's start with that, though. There was Bruno, but who else did you enjoy back then, like Chief J Strongbow? Um, oh, it was uh, Chief J. Strongbow. I'm glad you mentioned that name because, yeah, I watched him when I was a kid. But I, I, I love <clears throat> love Chief J. because when I was there, the new generation, he was one of my agents, you know. Um, um, so uh, then you had Rene Goulet, and he was one of my agents. And then you got Tony Guerrilla. He was one of my agents. George D. Animal Steel, one of my agents. But then superstar Billy Graham, who I never got to meet, but he was one of my favorites. Uh, Harley Race down in the South, he was one of my favorites. My all-time favorite was Dusty Rhodes. I mean, that, that's, you know, that, that, that's my A number one guy right there. Well, and uh, when you came, because you've been to a number of cauliflower alleys, but the was the the last one that you and I were at 2019 uh, Tony Guerrilla and his his wife his latest wife who was actually a fan I think she used to stitch and sew outfits for some of the boys but did you hook up with your uh, your old agent Tony Guerrilla at that one no I I I didn't I didn't I don't remember I didn't see him man and I'm sorry I didn't uh, I'll also, I have those photos I found because uh, I'll I'll send this to you let me throw back to Jonathan here well, I'm curious to know with everything, and it was funny, I was doing a little reading this afternoon to refresh my memory on stuff, and I'm curious to know, talking men on a mission at least, there was a, I believe it was in Europe somewhere, a just a two-day total reign, so what were your thoughts on that, and could they have had a bigger reign as far as uh, a title run? 
Oh, I'm sorry. Say that. Say that question one more time. I'm sorry. I was curious to know because I and I believe it was in Europe, but there was a uh, title win by MOM, and but it was only short lived. Can it have been longer? Do you think? I, I mean, uh, you know, to this day, and it, it was never really explained to me. Um, I'm hearing rumors that we won the title by accident and that really could be true i don't know i was like a fan that night they didn't really i really wasn't in the locker room a lot of times unless i was going to be involved you know directly involved um but my job was to wrap the guys out wrap them back in and be on the sidelines as a manager slash cheerleader or, or 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 whatever, and that night in Europe, um, I wasn't backstage with the discussions with uh, the agent and uh, Jacques and Pierre and Mo and Mabel. So when they won, I was just as shocked as everybody else. Shocked in a way that I can't even describe. But I was just as shocked. Um, matter of fact, I jumped in the ring <laughs> and I got hit in the head with the belt and there was blood all over my head and face. I mean, yeah. it was, it was a real, you know, it was a real night. I was really, really into this day because I don't understand it, but I was pissed when I found out that we were just going to keep the titles for a weekend and we were going to lose them two days later. So to answer your question because of men on the mission's popularity because we were so over because we were great baby faces and because we could have ran great programs with great people with the belts yeah i mean um it was it, it was a real disservice to the wwe universe and us that we didn't keep the titles for uh, um for a significant run um and, you know, to um, uh, add to that, it was a disservice to everybody when they turned men on a mission heel when they did, because as baby faces and keeping us together, we wasn't nowhere near finished with whatever the mission was. And I'm put it like that. So, yeah, there's a lot of things that happened that I disagree with. And. We've been talking a little bit about your musical background and everything else from before WWF days to wrap them in and out and such. But the one guy I always heard that was very creative, let's say, as far as a freestyling and such, was a guy I think you know kind of well, Yokozuna. So do you was he legit? I never heard of freestyle. I mean, <laughs> I never heard of that, freestyle. That, that, that's just the story. Not on TV. Here, so. That's behind the scenes. Though. Yeah, I never heard of freestyle behind the scenes. So, no, I don't know. <laughs> he might have. I mean, he might have. He might have. I mean, he never said, "All right, Oscar, I can freestyle. I want to battle you in the hallway." So, no, that never happened. So, uh, my answer to you is: uh, if that never happened, because he was competitive. If he could do it, he would have stepped to me in that manner. He never did, so I think that's falsehood. Hey, because you know, it's it, it's one of those telephone, telegraph, telewrestler. So you, never I was know around him long enough and and enough time to know whether or not that would be true. So I would be like, that's that's got to be a lie. <laughs> he had a great sense of humor, though. Who that Yokozuna? Yeah, Rodney. Oh, yeah, 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 he had an excellent sense of humor. I loved Rodney. I mean, I think that the matches with him and Mabel were, you know, uh, the most underrated things ever in the history of wrestling because, I mean, Chief J Strongbow used to love seeing those two go at it. He used to be like seeing you two big MNFs go at it. It's some of the greatest wrestling I've ever seen because they could do stuff like, they could both go over the top rope at the same time. Both of them were incredible for their size and their agility. I mean, you got two guys, 500 plus pounds, and they both wrestle like they weigh 180, jumping around and, you know, going on the second rope and 
doing splashes and Mabel did that, do that spin kick, you know, and the things that Roddy Roddy could fly around the ring. I mean, man, I can't even call it. It was, it was great with them two. Do you have, besides Rodney, uh, some people that you were, you were happy to be around or you formed friendships with besides Mo and Mabel? Maybe tell us about your relationship with the guys. Yeah, but um, um, First off, I, I had a lot of heat with, um, with, with, um, with the Steiners. The Steiners used to, they, 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 they used to get me and tie me up and and they were always pulling ribs. And I mean, I was the number one rib catcher probably in the history of the sport, to be honest, but that lasted like a year. Um, the Hearts, Owen and Brett were my mentors. Um, Owen and I worked out in Rome. We went up to the Coliseum where Bruce Lee fought Chuck Norris and we both took, we took pictures at that spot. Um, Brett, used to always give me advice. Matter of fact, Brett and I hung out a few times. And if you look at his book, um, the first book he wrote, the real big one, he talks about a time in Germany where him and I were at the skinhead bar. And when I say skinhead, I mean real skinheads. I mean, yeah. you know, not the ones that are from New York, one of these skinheads, these were skinheads in Germany. And he left me, uh, <laughs> he left me there, black guy, among skinheads, that said to his surprise when he came back, I was at the bar with the skinheads and we were laughing and joking and I was having a Pepsi and they were having drinks and he couldn't believe what he was seeing. Was Please, that was an intention rib or he just had to, to leave you for a bit? I, I don't know. I, I, one day I'll ask him. I never bothered to ask him because I was like, I'm, uh, to this day, I'm like, yeah, that's really left me. I, I saw I saw him a couple of years ago, and before I said hi, I, I looked at him and said, yeah, that's really left me. Uh, really left me. Because it was uh, Owen that was the rib king, not Brett. You don't hear uh, much Owen, about Brett, Owen. Owen, I woke up in Europe, and uh, from head to toe, I looked like Frosty the Snowman because I was slathered with shaving cream from it. Every, you know, just everywhere, and who did that? That was nobody but Owen. <laughs> uh, speaking of Owen Ribs, taking you out of the equation, is there a favorite rib you saw? You know, there wasn't a favorite rib I saw, but there was some that really, really just stand out. Now, I don't know who did it. But, and this was not my favorite, this was my unfavorite, but I mean, but one of the most uh, horrific, but stands out things I saw was they took, stole the women's championship belt from Medusa and they replaced it with human excrement. <laughs> that was over, too much over the top. But with Medusa, Debbie? Oh, yeah. Um, they took it out of the case where she kept it or something? To put the case she used to keep it in her gym bag. Oh, geez. Um, I used to, uh, well, I ain't gonna say it's love, but they used to uh, staple Lex Luger's suits, and he wore some expensive suits. They used to staple those to the wall. <laughs> um. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. My all-time favorite was uh was walking out the locker room and I heard, help, help, bye-bye, help. It was Dink. They had him duct tape from head to toe, and he was rolling around on the floor like uh like a like a baby mummy. And <laughs> that, that that was hilarious. I mean, it it, it was um those guys had too much time on their hands. <laughs> so I can tell you. Shaving eyebrows and just, you know, just, I mean, it was, it was like a kitty menagerie. I mean, you know, but like I said, they started making us, we didn't start shows till eight o'clock. They started making us come in at two o'clock. So for six hours, you just had guys that just had too much time on their hands. How about Kurt Hennig? Do you think he might have been responsible for some of that stuff? 
You know, I didn't spend enough time with him to know Kurt Henning left. Maybe Kurt Henning did not last a month after I got after I got okay. there. And Kurt Henning loved me to death. Kurt Henning told Vince, and I quote, he said, we was at a bar, and he told Vince, you see that guy right there? He said, that guy's a million dollars in a bank, and he don't even know it, because he was kind of like impressed with my rap game and all the kind of stuff like that. He really liked me, because he was there, um, he was there when I first met Vince in, 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 in Vegas, and I put his name in the rap, so he was one of the first ones, him and Lawler, and um, it was him, Lawler, Bruce Pritchard, I didn't know who Bruce Pritchard was, so he didn't get in the rap, but a perfect Lawler, Vince, Randy Macho Man Savage, they all made it in the first initial rap, and that's how Vince knew it was off the top of my head. Do you remember any of that before I throw to Jonathan? Do you remember any of that rap? Could, could, or it'd be fun to just hear it because this is like nah, super insider. I, I really don't. That was <laughs> 25 years ago. I You've done too much. Yeah. Okay, Jonathan, that, that, I'm sure that would be something else. Yeah, and when you say that, I got to bring up Lanny's uh, name again because he's, Mike, you notice, he's one of those who remembers everything that, you know, would it be poetry or whatever he'd done so it would have been cool to hear that but i want to bring up your time outside the company and one of the things that stood out for me was you worked with man Cal out of chicago mm-hmm. so what was it like getting in the radio and that aspect of things i honestly think that that was one thing that i was really born for i mean i liked it um, I think that I had a good, um, a good kind of a good voice for it. Um, a lot of people would tell me that, and um, you know, I was like blessed to fall in with Mancow because Mancow was like number one in Chicago. I mean, he was the biggest thing there. I mean, we got to do we got to do arena shows. We got to do arena shows like I was in the WWF. He was just that popular. Um, but no, I thought Mancat was funny. I thought he was really gifted. We had a really great radio morning team, you know, besides him. And, um, and I, I'm not, I'm not a sports enthusiast. I'm not, but it was easy to find out what was happening in sports and, uh, give scores and, you know, just give an opinion, you know, whether I knew what I was talking about or not. I mean, I could look at it and give an opinion, you know. Um, you know, Kobe could have did this and Kobe could have did that. Michael could have did this and Michael could have did that. So, but no, um, it was great working with Man Cal. He was a great radio guy, you know, um, and he was really fair to me and you know, he thought I had talent. You know, I, I'm not never one to say, be facetious and say, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, 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 I'm king stuff or whatever. I just do what I can the best I can and hope for a good result. Well, to quote one Roddy Piper, and it's always stood out for me, you might as well toot your own horn because who else knows the tune? Yeah, you could, but at the end of the day, you're not the judge of what. I mean, you you're not the judge of what's good. I mean, you know the people. I mean that that that's who, you know. I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, I think I know what I'm doing, but that's about the extent of what I'll say about it. Well, speaking of which, you have some new stuff out, and one being peace, which has over a million listens and whatnot. So. What can you tell us about the new stuff musically you got going on? Well, guy, executive producer, CEO, his name is Greg Simmons. I met him at a big Hollywood Oscar party, and he was working at a, a show called Aspen Series at the time. And, you know, like I would get a lot of my jobs, I asked him about it. He told me about it. He liked the rap that I spit back at him. Next thing you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like the music director. For Aspen Series, that's, you know, a job I got. 20 years later, he starts a movement called Staunch Moderates, which the Staunch Moderates are not a political action group, but they are a group that um, addresses 
uh, the divide in the country and, you know, anti-hate and all of our love, peace, and unity. That's why the album is, you know, the way that it is. Um, I just was able to just write an entire album on things that I believe in, which are love, peace, and unity. And I'm really proud of that. Did I think that I was going to get a million numbers here and a nomination from the Grammys to get a nomination, get that far? Uh, not of my wildest dreams. I mean, you know, but it just goes to show when you do good, good comes back. Um, I'm, I'm wild by everything that's happening. I mean, the album is in no way dying out. I mean, we're still making videos for everything. We just wrapped on a production of, um, there's a song on it, on it called Staunch Football, which is about DJ Staunch, the mascot partner in crime that I got, the big seven foot tall mascot. He's a real mascot. He's a moving guy. Um, yeah. He's um, playing football and he's on a football team uh, called the Bigfoots football team and um, we just wrapped the video doing that we in pre-production about a baseball video that we're doing um the company has backed me financially and philosophically to the hill and they continue to do it i just i'm in uh talks now renewing my contract to do my next album and next project with them so i'm really 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 happy and it sounds like they are a good group to be associated with and oscar or casanova depending on which way you see him actually sent over some links and we are going to post them with this episode so you can check out some of the previous videos that he has done but i'm curious you know and i asked a musical guest this the other day so i'd be curious to get your opinion on this because You've done stuff with music and within wrestling, but has there ever been a real strange place that either audience has recognized you in? I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm not understanding what, you, what you're asking. Have you, have you ever been in a, a place, whether a restaurant or somewhere, what's the most unusual place where people have recognized you, either from your music, artistry, or your creativity in wrestling? Oh, well, you know the answer to that question? This random corner in Dallas, north of you about to go in. Random, what's that? In Florida, the mall, where I went to see my friend, Joy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She just reminded me. Yeah, um, just um, not too long ago. Is that your lovely wife? Yeah. yeah. He's a fan of your. He's a fan of your of your your verse on on, on the song. A real yeah. big fan. Thank you. Actually, um, no, we was at a mall not too long ago, and I thought people got was done recognizing me, but yeah, I got recognized by quite a few people um, at the mall, and um, you know, signed some autographs. But I mean, you know, it it depends on where. I mean, <laughs> it depends on where you at. Uh, wrestling conventions, which I go to quite a few of them. Matter of fact, I'm going to the one I'm going to Dallas, um, you know, WrestleCon in Dallas this, this spring. And then I'm hosting a big party at the Western Hotel downtown this spring, you know, in Dallas. Um, ha ha, Kevin Nash. I'm hosting a party too. So I'm going to be a better party than you. No, uh. um, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it, you just never know. So I mean, I don't got to walk around with security or nothing like that. It's not never been like that, but because the fans are pretty nice. I mean, you know, back in the day when I was actually on TV, um, it, it was, I mean, people, the only thing, and a lot of wrestlers and a lot of celebrities will agree, the only thing that bothers you the most is when people come up to you while you eating. I mean, right. I think it's so discourteous. I mean, just wait. I gotta, I'm not leaving going away. I gotta finish my meal. I'm gonna walk out, you know, ask me about my childhood then, you know, because I've never had a problem, you know, talking to fans for as long as they wanted to talk. I mean, um, you know, I've I've never have been that been that guy. Um, I will say, and I'm glad you asked that. 
a lot of the generation coming up in the last, you know, 10 years or so, you know, they don't understand that. They don't get that. You know, they don't, you know, a lot. You got some people don't treat fans the way that they should be treated. I mean, there were one, there was one year that um, I went to a, a WrestleMania and I was at the WWE hotel and I almost cried and I almost cried because the fans were at a barricade outside and there was a lot of people that ignored them, you know, as they were going into the hotel. I went across the street and signed it. Um, you know, you had a lot of wrestlers that was there from the old school, you know, your undertakers and your Bret Hart's, you know, that understood, you know, what fans really mean to us in the business. But a lot of the, you know, the, a lot of the current stars, you know, at the time, you know, they really didn't get it. The fans sign your paycheck. So somebody come up to you, don't be rude or don't ignore them. I mean, I have this one guy got out his SUV and all the fans were out, hundreds of fans outside trying to get his attention. He didn't even look their way. He just got out the car and didn't even look at him. I acknowledge he didn't even wave or nothing. And just went inside the hotel and I thought that was just disgusting. I'm like, you know, y'all look at it one day when y'all are out of a job. Nobody don't know you. Yeah, a lot of athletes and musicians know that that if you're kind to them, as long as they're respectful to, of you and, and not interrupting your meal, uh, that that's like a memory that, that will tie them and maybe they'll bring their kids and grandkids to wrestling or music events. If you, you know, give them five seconds and acknowledge them, whatever, say hi, shake their hand, uh, or, you know, maybe, uh, maybe not sign an autograph now because people, I hate this thing of them immediately taking that stuff, signing a photo and then putting it on eBay. No, maybe take a selfie with them or, or whatever, but yeah, uh, they, they really should be. The old school guys know that they know that, uh, that's how you help grow fan bases uh, for your product and, uh whatnot let's let you plug almost everything as we're winding down here where do we want to send people and and maybe upcoming dates so you're going to be at that huge WrestleCon, uh high spots mike bucci's WrestleCon in dallas uh who i've worked for and, and with for years and and those are massive events tons of wrestlers he does sh you know there'll be shows a lot of vendor booths a lot of cool stuff do you know some of the other folks I, I haven't looked at the roster yet this year who else is going to be there no I, I haven't i haven't i haven't looked yet but i probably will tonight because i like to know who's going to be there too i just haven't looked as of yet but um you know just to plug some stuff um yeah like i said wrestlecon and then um a big party is going on which is uh that's promoted by a London-based company called Wrestle Travel. They're gonna bring me in to host a big party that they're having. Which, which hotel? Do you know which hotel that is in Dallas? I believe it's the Westin. Oh wow, that's pretty snazzy. Um, uh, but I, I, you know, that's 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 about it that I know. I try to keep a, a, a light schedule because last year during the time that I was recording the album. Had heart surgery and I got a defibrillator. So how you feeling now? No, I'm feeling fine. I'm feeling great. As a matter of fact, I just got a defibrillator looked at after a couple a few months and it's doing great. And I'm feeling a lot better, but I try not to strain myself and do too much. So, you know, we'll see how things go. I am positive that there are going to be some um shows coming up to perform a couple of songs from the first round oh yeah uh there's also uh it's gonna be uh massachusetts in april april 16th um i forgot the name of the hall is that the guys with uh boston wrestling uh boston wrestling dan marati that's exactly who it is um i was just there with him in november <laughs> we had uh, we had a real good time. Dan Marotti is a real good guy. Dan Marotti and I, oh, yeah, this is important. I'm glad you brought it up. Dan Marotti and I host a show every Monday called the Monday Night Mission, where we get together and we just banter about life and talk about, you know, Monday Night Raw. So you guys can catch that 
Let, let me ask you too, and then Jonathan, you might have some follow-up questions or additional ones. What do you like about today's current product, no matter the promotion, WWE, AEW, or otherwise? And what do you maybe not like or would like to see changed? Um, so how are they getting it right and what would you improve? Um, I would get improved a lot of the talent that I'm watching right now because I, I just don't get it when it comes to um, uh, the, a lot of the talent. You know, I'm not going to go on, you know, uh, I'm not going to go live and, and, and mention no names, but there's a lot of the talent that bothers me. Um, there's a lot of the talent that bothers me. And um, a lot of the releases that I think, oh my God, they got wrong. Right. Um, I, I Bray Wyatt, oh my God, they got wrong. And, and um, <laughs> you know, and just some people are just there that I don't think need to be there, but they still there and they, you know, getting pushed. Um, oh, bringing back Lita for the Royal Rumble. I thought that was a masterstroke. I love Lita and I think she was a leader in women's wrestling. Rumors are just swirling around that Ronda Rousey might be coming back. I think that's a real good move. Um, I think that there are a lot of there are is there's a lot of talent. I think Bianca Belair, Bianca Belair is super talented. She's a talent and amazing, and you know, and I think that she just she will bring the um, women's division on fire. I think that she should get the belt and hang on to it as long as. <clears throat> You know, as, as long as Roman Reigns had it, because I, I think that she will give every woman a run for their money, and she does really great work. Um, you know, I, 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 I think that Riddle is a talent. I think that they should, you know, take that silliness factor out of them. But once they, they do that, I think you got quite a talented young man there. So they don't I, even acknowledge I, he was an MMA guy, major MMA guy. They did an NXT, the farm system, or now the farm system, but they, they haven't played this goof. And there's a whole other, you know, like all of them. I, I, I liked at least, uh, I've been unhappy with, you know, having Bobby Lashley not look strong against Brock and just taking it. So hopefully that means he's getting the strap Saturday at Royal Rumble. Uh, but uh, the vignettes they showed of his military background and then him working out. I mean, th there's nobody more chiseled than that guy in the biz. I know. Thank you. Appreciate the time. And as Mike asked, before we let you go, is there any social media people can follow you at? Um, I am on Facebook. There's a site called Men on a Mission to Legacy. You can always find us there. And oh, yeah, well, one thing important, I should have mentioned this in the beginning, uh, Mo could use your thoughts and prayers. He is in a hospital and um, he's been in the ICU. Uh, COVID got him real bad. He got pneumonia for COVID. Uh, he had received, blessedly, a kidney. He needed a new kidney real bad. He got the new kidney, a transplant, but that kidney is not doing so well because of uh, the lack of oxygen that he's having. So he's having some real struggles and problems medically. So if you guys can give your thoughts and prayers to Mo, you know, please do. Right on. We got that covered. Thank you so much, Oscar. I'll be emailing you very shortly and look for his upcoming book, hopefully. But Oscar Casanova Ace, fantastic music, fantastic person. And uh, we love you, man. Thank you. Right, I appreciate you guys having me. Why not try downloading this new classic set of music that will be dropping so far off the charts, there's bound to be injuries. <laughs> now that's what I call depressing. It's gonna make those who are even close to having the slightest glimmer of hope wanna jump off the highest of planks. For those that are getting Now That's What I Call Depressing, you'll be getting that song that reminds you of that relationship with those cougars. Wrinkled Ladies.
For those who weren't really into cougars, but those who had that special friend whilst in cell block 2B, we got for you this clusterfuck that will put you in therapy for years to come. With cheeks wide open. Who the fuck writes this shit? Oh hell, we're still recording this commercial. Always with you, it cannot be done. Those that rather have it out than in. This loaded hit will be dropping soon. Far thing in the USA. For those who place their order by calling or ordering online, the next hundred folks will receive their choice of either a noose of good quality that won't snap an installation of a new outlet next to your bathtub so you can now blow dry your hair in a full tub. Or the choice of the right gang to just beat the fuck out of you. Call us today at 1-800-FUCK-THIS. Listening to Crazy Train Radio, and don't ever forget. Aha, love you.